So Bria and I have been married almost 28 years. Well, praise the Lord for that. Thank you. Um, with the exception of two and a half years combined over the course of that time, we have always lived in different cities from our parents as well as our siblings. And when you live away from family, it makes family gatherings just that much more special. So I've got a picture. I think it's going to come up in just a moment here. Something I want you all to see. There it is. That's the whole family clan right there. That was taken back in 2017. It was in one of those gatherings. Everybody happened to be together. I think it was around Thanksgiving at some point. And you will notice my parents are in the middle. This was the last family picture we got a chance to take before my parents passed away. And so you got parents, you've got brothers and sisters, nieces and nephews, in-laws and outlaws. You got the entire gang all there together. Um, and if you'll also look at that, uh, you can see my dad over the course of time, he, he developed a distinctive picture-taking face. And that is, you don't ever want to look too happy in a picture, otherwise people will keep taking them. So um, anyway, he, we joked with him all the time about that, but that was one of our last pictures we had together as a family, so we can go ahead and take that down. Here, here's the point I want to bring out. If you live away from family, you will know that reunions and gatherings go through certain stages when you get back together. There's what I would refer to as the great to see you stage. Everybody's greeting each other, welcoming each other, hugging each other. Then there is the catching up on what's happening in life stage. That is one of the modern miracles of our time because everybody's talking at the same time and yet somehow people still hear enough to know what's going on in everybody else's life. Then there's also the reminiscing old stories stage. Um, there's just certain stories that need to be retold over and over again. And it seems like the longer you get together and the further away from that moment, the more exaggerated the story becomes. But those who were there, they, they know the truth behind it. It's all good. And then there is the every object in the house holds a memory stage. And maybe you've gone through the same thing. All of a sudden you see certain pieces and there's flashbacks that come with memories. My parents' house was one of those that had a number of those objects. The back of their house, they had a sunroom. And in the sunroom was the dining room table that we had growing up. Somehow over the years, it moved to be the grandkids' table, but every time I looked at it, it was one that was filled with memories. Uh, the patterns in the wood grain, the, the scratches on the top, the dents that were in the chairs, every part of it had a memory for me. That's the table we ate meals at virtually every single night of the week, except Sunday. For some strange reason, we never had dinner on Sunday night. It's one of the, the mysteries of the universe to me to this day. I never figured out why we never had dinner on Sunday night. But that table's one. I can remember playing cards at the table and putting together puzzles at the table, doing homework at that particular table. It's where we celebrated birthdays. It's where we ate Thanksgiving meals and Christmas meals. I can still remember my dad sitting at the end of that table with a stack of bills and a checkbook and a calculator because that's the place he paid his bills. 
It was a table that's just filled with memories. Every place I looked in my parents' house, there was another object with memories attached to it. And as I've looked back over those times, I don't know if my memory is that bad. I don't know if I'm forgetting things in my old age. I did just turn 51. That's maybe a part of it. I don't know if it was as good as what I remembered. But when I think about growing up, I don't have bad memories. There were times I got in trouble and I got a whooping. And there were times that I needed to get a whooping, but nobody found out about it, so praise the Lord for that. <laughs> there were times that money was tight. There were times that I didn't understand why my parents took the stand they did or, or acted the way they did, but those were what I would consider to be just small moments on an otherwise incredible landscape of life that I had. When I look back, I'm overwhelmed by how blessed I was to live in my father's house. I was blessed. Today, as we close out Ephesians chapter two, we're going to get a glimpse of what it looks like to live together in our father's house. We're gonna see the way that God runs his home we're gonna see the way he wants us to treat each other as his children. We're gonna see his love for us, his preparation for us, his discipline of us. We're gonna see the incredible things that he has done in order to bring us together, to fit us together as a family. In essence, we get a chance tonight to study the tone of the home, what it looks like to live together in the Father's house. And let me just say from the beginning, when the church is operating according to God's design, I believe we will all be able to look back and say, I'm overwhelmed by how blessed I was to live in my Father's house. I invite you to go with me in your Bibles tonight to Ephesians chapter number two. Ephesians 2, we're going to be in verses 19 through 22. I'm speaking this evening on the subject, living together in the Father's house. Verse 19 and following. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household. You're a part of his home. You're a part of his family having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you are also being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask this evening that you would allow our hearts and our minds and our focus, our attention to rest right in this moment, right now with you in the word. And Lord, would you walk us through what it looks like to live together as a part of your house. In Jesus' name, amen. There are parallel concepts that we find in Ephesians 1 as well as in Ephesians chapter 2. In chapter one, the plan of salvation is presented from God's perspective. It begins with God's electing grace 
and then it culminates with Jesus being head over all things to the church, which is his body. The church is compared to a body, and Jesus is the head. In chapter 2, it shares the plan of salvation from our perspective. It shows how we've moved from spiritual death into spiritual life. It shows how we've been brought together into a body. But as we get to the end of chapter 2, the Apostle Paul comes out of the body metaphor, and now he talks about us being fitted together in the household of God. He talks about us being a family. So tonight, we are going to ask one primary question as we work our way through this text. What does it look like? to live together in our Heavenly Father's house. So our first part of the answer is found in verse number 19. We are no longer strangers, we're family. We're no longer strangers, we're family. Look at what it says, verse 19. Watch the shift in words from the beginning all the way to the end. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household. A new identity enables a new type of relationship. Who you were prior to Christ is not who you are in Christ. Prior to Christ, we may have been strangers and aliens of God's covenant people. According to verse number 12, we might have been apart from the promises without hope and without God in this world. But because of what Jesus has done for us, we are now fellow citizens with the saints in the kingdom of God. We are a part of the family. We're no longer strangers, we're family. Now, if we really believe that verse, then we are not just friends who go to the same church. If we really believe that church, we are not just like-minded people who gather in the same place. If we really believe that verse, we are not just acquaintances who are joined together in the same type of mission. Instead, we are family. And when you're family, it changes the dynamics of things. So when I was growing up, my mom always had a camera with her. She was always taking pictures, flashes going off all around us, and, and not those weak flashes on the front of our iPhones and our, our smartphones today. We're talking about the cube that sat on the top of the camera, and every time it went off, it destroyed parts of your retina every time. Like, like as kids, I feel like I was shocked over and over by these flashes that were going off all around us. And so my mom, she loved taking pictures and she would take family pictures and random pictures and candid pictures. If there was a memory to capture, I guarantee you somewhere it's out there on film. And she would always say something like this. She would say, you all go stand in front of that tree and let me get your picture. We'd go wander over in front of a tree and we'd stand like, you all go in front of those flowers. Everybody makes fun of me taking pictures of flowers. It's genetically wired into me because of my mom. I I kid you not, there was a a group that we were doing a mission trip. We were out in Egypt. We were literally over at the, the Museum of Cairo. We're looking at mummies and all these things and they look at me and I'm sitting off on the side taking a picture of this lily that's in a pond out in front of the museum. They're like, Paul, all this history. I'm like, did you see this flower? Like, it's a great flower. That's a whole other story. But here's the thing. 
Literally everywhere we were going, she would say the same thing. You all go stand over there. And we would like grudgingly stand there. And then she would say, no, scoot close together. You're not strangers, you're family. That's what Paul is addressing here. He's trying to get the attention of believers in Ephesus and saying, you are family. And if you're going to come together in the household of God, you're going to have to start thinking like family. You have to stop thinking in terms of being aliens and strangers. You now need to start thinking in terms of family. In the Old Testament, if Gentiles lived among God's covenant people, they were referred to as, quote, strangers within the gates. They were tolerated not always welcomed. And Paul confronts that through his writings in the New Testament. And he stresses, if you are in Christ, then you are in the family of God. You're no longer strangers, you're family. Several weeks ago, there was a major storm that that came through town. And it was one that brought a lot of wind and it brought a lot of rain. In fact, it shut down a good amount of our city. And after the storm passed through, people started to go out and they assessed any damage to their house or to their property. And it wasn't but just a little while after that happened that our pastors got word from somebody within the church that had a major tree that dropped in their yard. It was bigger than they could handle. They needed some help with this tree. And literally inside of a couple of hours, there was a group of guys at the house with chainsaws and work clothes and trucks cut up the tree, got taken care of, removed the tree. Did you know there was not a committee formed to assess the situation? There there was no work plan that had to be submitted to check out the scope of the work that was going to be involved. Instead, it was a bunch of dudes with some trucks and some chainsaws and some trash bags, and they showed up and they handled some business. That's what family does. There was another family in our church recently had a medical emergency late at night. And within 15 minutes of this emergency starting, people were already praying. The pastors had been contacted and multiple other people contacted this couple to say, we will come and stay at your house with your one child so that you all can be together at the hospital with the child who's going there. That's what family does. Another family recently in our church had a tragedy in their home. They lost a lot. And when the word started to get around, people immediately started praying and meals were lined up and gift cards and financial resources came in from people within their connect group. Others were checking in to see what do they need? How can we help? That's what family does. Every single Sunday, there are people who are serving back in our children's ministry, and they're not babysitting. It's not glorified babysitting. They are loving on children, and they are teaching them God's word, and it allows those parents to be able to come in and to sit for a period of time and to focus and to worship and to be in the word. Those people are fulfilling a huge need, but listen, that's what family does. 
We have people in our church who visit the sick, who serve at our Connect and our Welcome Centers, who set up pieces before services. Some are running AV, others are playing music or singing in the choir. Some are greeting at the doors, some are fixing things that are broken. Uh, Sideline, some are breaking things that need to now be fixed. That's a whole other story. Um, there are people who are teaching connect groups. There are some organizing events. There's some who are offering counseling, others leading ministries, others just saying, how can I pray for you? Others serving in the community. The list could go on and on, but that's what family does. Families help each other. They work together. They care for one another. They support each other. They confront you when you need to be challenged. They encourage you when you're down. They celebrate with you when things are happening and then you're up. That's what families do. Now here's the reason I bring up all of those examples. Church is not just what happens in gatherings on Sunday. These gatherings are important. They're necessary. The body needs to be together. We need to worship together. We need to grow in the word. We need to be challenged together. But even though these gatherings are important, they're not the extent of biblical community. Biblical community goes further than that. And for true biblical community to happen, the family has to care for the needs of the family. Each member cannot care for every need. Our gifts are different. Our time constraints are different. Our passions are different. But when each member does what they can, when they can, it serves and it strengthens the family of God. So now let's ask the same question of verse number 20. What does it look like to live together in the Father's house? It means we're blessed with stability because of a solid foundation. Verse 20. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Several times in the last two and a half years, I have given you all this statement in regards to family legacy. I've said two of the greatest gifts that you can give your kids are a godly heritage and a stable home. A godly heritage and a stable home. When parents allow God to live through them before their families, that's an important part of establishing a godly heritage. When parents look for ways to bring stability, and when I say look for ways to bring stability, I'm not saying that you're gonna be able to protect your kids from every problem and challenge and issue in life. There's times that people lose jobs. There's times that money is tight. There's times of instability that come, but the parent has many opportunities to help establish routines and structure and, and to put things in place where as a family, we're going to do this together and, and bring that stability in. There is something almost genetically wired into people that we know home is supposed to be safe and is supposed to be stable. I don't know when the last time was you played a good rousing game of hide and seek, but if you remember like I do, one of the first things you had to establish was where's home base? Because if you got home, you were safe. Nobody could tag you out. 
There's something even in our, our kids' games that we recognize home is to be safe, it's to be stable. One of the things that I've just seen over the years, I don't do as much counseling as I did before, but years in counseling, I've seen that so many of the relational problems, the marriage problems, the coping problems, the issues in making decisions, financial burdens that families carry, so much of that can be traced back to instability in the home and the lack of godly examples. Verse 20 helps us see in God's house, we are blessed with stability and we're blessed with incredible godly examples. So let's talk for a moment about this foundation. The strength and the durability of any structure is gonna rest upon its foundation. The word foundation here is being connected with the household of God. Paul wants us to see that God's household, his family, his church has a stable foundation. And because of this stable foundation, God's family can weather any storm, it can endure any challenge, it can overcome any obstacle because we have a stable foundation that has been laid in the right way by God. This foundation is built upon the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Now he introduces two positions within the early church that quite honestly we don't talk a lot about today, that of apostles and prophets. The apostles were appointed and inspired witnesses of Jesus who in the first generation they began to take the teachings of Christ to the church throughout the world. The, the Holy Spirit worked through these men in order to disseminate New Testament truth everywhere they went. The prophets mentioned in verse number 20 are not referring to Old Testament prophets. They're not referring to people who have the gift of prophecy, the spiritual gift of prophecy, the, the truth tellers within the church, those who help make sure that the church stays aligned in truth. Instead, these individuals were a select group who received and proclaimed direct messages from God and worked alongside of the apostles within the early days. Paul refers to them again in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 5, saying the truths were revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. There were specific truths revealed to those individuals, those two groups. He mentions them again in verse chapter four, verse 11, as a part of God's blessing for the church. Now, these individuals, the apostles and the prophets, were used to teach and to proclaim Christ. They laid a foundation for the church. Now, we have to be really, really careful here. Paul is not saying that the apostles and the prophets were the foundation. Rather, they're used by God to lay the foundation. We know that because 1 Corinthians 3.11 tells us, for no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Ultimately, it all comes back and rests upon Jesus. And in fact, in the passage itself, we see him mentioned as the cornerstone in this. The cornerstone was a, a stone that was used in the foundation, and it was hewn and cut first. 
the corners, the planes, the angles were all true. It had to be strong enough in order to allow the structure to be built on top of it. It had to be precisely laid because every other part of the structure was oriented back to the cornerstone. The cornerstone was the unifier of the structure. That makes sense for us. Jesus is the unifier of the church. He is strong enough for us to base our lives upon, for this family to be built upon. It is Christ who brings us together. Because our foundation is secure, because our faith is built upon Christ, we enjoy stability within the family of God. Now we need to pause here for a moment. If you watch too much news, it'll rock you from your stability. I love me some good news, but at the same time, if I spend all of my time looking at the problems in the world and not being with the body of believers, I walk in an unstable way. We need to be back with the body of Christ. You know what happens when you get around believers? You talk to other people who have other, other parts of wisdom. They've had other experiences. You share a concern here, and all of a sudden, they'll say something like, I saw the same thing, but this is what I've also seen. Here's how God has worked through this. This is what I heard in another area. And before you know it, when you're around the body of believers, you walk away encouraged, Lord willing, encouraged, because others see what you might not see. Others have experienced what you might not have experienced. There is stability that comes because of being a part of the body of Christ. Here's the next piece. What does it look like to live together in the Father's house? It means we are being transformed together by a loving Father. Transformed together. Verses 21 and 22. In whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord. In whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the spirit. If you have a highlighter, if you have a pen, if you write in your Bibles, I, I wanna draw your attention to one word that's found twice in these verses. The word is together. We are being fitted together, verse 21. We are being built together, verse 22. Here's why that's important. There is a part of your growth in Christ that can only happen between you and God. You have to get alone with God. You have to be with him in the word. You have to be with him in prayer. You need to submit before him and walk in humility you need to pursue God. There is part of your growth in Christ that's between you and God. I can't do that for you. I can't read the Bible on your behalf. I can't, you know, get up and call everybody in the church and say, are you up praying right now? You need to be praying. Like, I, I can't do it. Your friends in church cannot do it. Your, your church itself cannot do that for you. There's parts of your growth in Christ that's only between you and the Lord. But there is another part of our spiritual growth that can only take place within community with other believers. Just as much as God molds our character personally, he fits our lives corporately. Proverbs tells us, as iron sharpens iron, 
So one friend sharpens another. It is through diverse personalities, it's through differing gifts that God has a way of knocking off the rough edges of our life and forming us into the character of Christ. He uses the mercy of one person in the church. He uses the prophecy of another person in the church. He uses the service of another, the teaching of another, the giving of another. He, he uses the body of Christ in order to form us, and then he fits us together, together. There's a part of your growth in Christ that only happens in community with other believers. That, that phrase fitted together, it was used of carpenters when joining pieces of furniture, a wall, a building, or a structure. Every part was to be precisely cut so it fit snugly, so it was strong, so that it was beautifully assembled. And the text tells us we are being fitted together. We're being built together. There's another reason the Bible tells us that we are not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. The reason is because a part of your growth in Christ only happens with other believers. We talk a lot about discipleship. A disciple is someone who pursues Jesus by loving God, uniting with the believers, uniting with the believers, uniting with the believers, uniting with the believers, serving the world and entrusting the gospel. There is a part of your growth in Christ that only happens when you're united together with other believers. And if we miss that, we've missed so much. That, that's one of the reasons that in my, my gentle, somewhat prophetic way, somewhat get on your nerves way, I mentioned this morning, just in passing, that, that we need to be together. It's easy to be able to watch online. And again, I praise God for the capability it's wonderful when somebody cannot be here. It's wonderful if somebody's traveling. It's wonderful if somebody is sick. But here's the thing, it cannot replace community. When you're not with the body, you miss part of what he wants to do in your life. When you're not with the body, nobody knows when you're hurting. When you're not with the body, they can't see your pain. pain. They can't walk with you. They, they don't know the problem. They can't step in. They can't challenge where you need to be challenged. They, there's something about being together in the body that is absolutely crucial for our development as disciples. Disciples pursue Jesus by loving God, uniting with believers, serving the world, and entrusting the gospel. Look with me, if you would, in verse 21. It tells us we're being fitted together and growing together into a holy temple. Now this is gonna sound like I'm like running a tangent, but I promise there's a really good connection piece here. Write this reference off to the side. First Kings chapter six, verse seven. First Kings chapter six, verse seven. It tells us that when the great temple of Solomon was being constructed, it says it was, quote, built of stone, prepared at a quarry, and there was neither hammer nor ax nor any iron tool heard in the house while it was being built, end of quote. The work was considered so holy that construction was virtually silent. Day after day, 
the stones were moved into place. Day after day, the building rose from the ground. When they finished, the people were amazed at the beauty of this temple. So hold that thought and think of what it's telling us in verse 21. We are being fitted together into a holy temple. Verse 22 says we're being built together into the dwelling of God. In the Old Testament, God resided in the temple or in the tabernacle. That was his dwelling place. In the New Testament, the Bible tells us God dwells within us. He dwells within believers. We are called the temple of God. Now here's the reason I brought that passage up. There's a tendency sometimes to get frustrated with God because we can't hear the hammers beating and we can't see the work being done and we can't always look and say, I see what he's doing in that heart and in that life and in that person over there. And sometimes it might seem silent like nothing is going on. But listen, our God is at work and it says he's fitting us together. He's building us together. And what sometimes might be taking place in silence, just know the Father is at work. What does it look like to live together in the Father's house? We're no longer strangers, we're family. We're blessed with stability because of a solid foundation. We're being transformed together by a loving Father. Put those pieces in context. We have a family that's blessed with stability, a father who loves his kids and develops them fully, and an opportunity as children of God to grow together and to learn together. The more we understand about God's design for his family, for his home, the more it should prompt us to ask questions like these. How is God leading you to support your church family? If you're a part of the family, how's he leading you to be involved? Are you using your gifts to serve others? We, we've talked about spiritual gifts recently and God's given every one of us a spiritual gift and that is to be used in the service of others. How are you using the gifts God has given you as a part of serving the body? Are you growing together as a family or are you just attending the same church? There's times you need to stop and ask that question like, Am I getting closer with my family? Or am I coming in and I'm just darting out? Do, do I have connection? Am I known by others? Do others know me? Are you supporting each other and loving each other? What is your next step to grow closer together with your family? What is God already prompting you to do, but you haven't obeyed? And here's the last part. If your growth in Christ, part of it, only happens in community. What is the inevitable result of being too busy to be involved? We will stunt our own growth. Families, strong families, healthy families, they just don't happen. They're built over time. They get closer through the moments of life. Listen to these words. They walk through challenges together. They walk through seasons of joy together. 
They love each other. They serve each other. They pray for each other. They celebrate with each other. They look for the best in each other. They spend time with each other, together with each other, together with each other. There has to be that closeness, that continual living life in connection with other believers for us to experience biblical community the way God's designed. But more than all of that, it has to be that each believer is pursuing God, submitting to him as he is fitting us together in his family. Being a part of the family of God has so many blessings. Doesn't mean the family's perfect, but let's be honest, there's no perfect families out there. It doesn't mean we're always going to agree. It doesn't mean we're always gonna handle things right. But when it's family, you love each other, you talk it through, and come Thanksgiving, you're sitting at the same table again. Come birthday, you're celebrating with each other again. Families go through it together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, may you give us greater and greater appreciation for what it looks like to live together in your house. May we grow closer as a part of your family. May we move out of the mindset of strangers, of acquaintances, of church members. And Lord, may we adopt more and more of the mindset of family, household together. Lord, you have to be the one who turns the light on and brings a desire for that within us. God, may you have your will in this place. In Jesus' name, amen.